That was a very loud grunt <laughs> as I sat down there. I just noticed. Right. <laughs> I'm getting to be that age. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. We are back. <laughs> Sermon <laughs> Deep Dive. Um, this one gets is a fun one because we get to go over one of Noah's sermons, not one of my sermons. Oh, no. So uh, for those of you that got a chance to tune in to uh, our Sunday service this Sunday, you got to hear Noah's sermon. If you did not get a chance to hear it, um, it will be getting uploaded uh, tomorrow to our YouTube channel. So you can go check there if you want to rewatch the sermon, get a little bit of context of what we're talking about. But um, we've been using this time at the very beginning to give you all a chance to get to know us a little bit better, asking some funny questions, some kind of get-to-know-you questions. So um, I'm just going to kick it off for us today. I have a... Um, this one's not as funny. It's just a uh-oh, serious question. Uh-oh. I want to I wanna get I've to know you I've got a funny one, more. so that, that Perfect. We just kind of switched mm. roles. So what is something that you find embarrassing? Ooh. Oh, shoot. Um... A lot, actually. Uh, I would probably say that Oops. the m- most embarrassing thing is if I notice that any type of thing in my clothing is not the way I intended it to pl- pan out, you know? And I notice, like, after the fact, it's, like, one of the most, like, embarrassing things ever. I really care about clothing. Like what? Like, what's uh, Like, I mean, well, like, a zipper down is, like, the first one that pops into my head obviously but uh anything like um like uh this is gonna be a little tmi but like sweat stains are a big thing (laughs) like anything like that like i'm just like instantly super embarrassed so uh yeah no definitely definitely that would be that the wardrobe malfunctions wardrobe malfunctions are oh they're the worst so yeah i would say that Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Here's a more silly one. Okay. Um, in the most theologically rich and dense way that you can explain this, why do we drive on? Why do we park on a driveway, and why do we drive on a parkway? <laughs> as the uh, as the psalmist would say in Psalm one thirty one. Oh, no. I do not concern myself with things too wonderful for me. (laughs) There are certain things that we are just never going to know. (laughs) And I do not know why that is the the thing that, why those are flipped the way that they are. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. (laughs) Oh, tune in next week for the part two of this where we talk about um, what's not a driveway, uh, bridges and roads (laughs) and... (laughs) Yeah, you know, just city planning with Noah. (laughs) So there you have it. Nick doesn't know an answer to a question. You heard it live here on Wayfair. And that's okay. (laughs) The psalmist said so himself. That's okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So uh, before we get into it, I want to try to summarize your main point from the sermon on Sunday. Mm. And you tell me if I was paying attention if I got it right, ooh, ooh. or if you're like, no, this is not, that's not at all Test. what I said. I don't know where you got this from. <laughs> so gra- grade me on my comprehension here. Okay, okay. My understanding of your point with the sermon was that um, you read from Second Peter. I'll read the passage here in, in a first, second. But, first Peter, <laughs> chapter 2. Yes, there Peter. you go. That's you got where it. I got the two. <laughs> uh, for, F so far on the <laughs> test. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a good start. First Peter. And you really focused on the phrase that we were supposed to be a holy priesthood, mm. that we're supposed to be priests. Right. So you gave us a little bit of history of the of what the people of Israel were supposed to play that role as priests, and that we are functioning in that role as priests as well. Mm-hmm. And you said there's kind of two things that make a priest a priest. One is um, like their their holiness mm-hmm. and their their set apartness in that sense, and then the other is their vocation uh you know of being that bridge bridge yeah. to god um and you felt like we as christians have focused too much we we recognize that we're priests maybe most of us might not say it in those terms mm-hmm. but we focus too much on the holiness part mm-hmm. we focus on being separate from everybody right we don't focus on being a bridge and i remember before the sermon i don't remember if you mentioned it in the sermon but 
the whole series we've been doing has been on what the real good news is, what's the actual gospel, the real good news. And your point you said to me was that part of being a royal priesthood, part of the good news of that is that it means that the gospel is good news for the non-Christian. Yeah. For the Mm -hmm. person who is not a part of that priesthood necessarily. Right. They still get to reap the benefits of that bridge role that Mm -hmm. we play of connecting to God. And if we focus too much on our holiness, we will miss that. Um, vocation of being that bridge exactly okay yeah. you so got it you got that's, it that's, yeah that's a it. plus wow all right <laughs> uh, i was actually listening i got to pay attention it was great i got to like sit on my couch and watch the live stream <laughs> it was a whole different experience i wish i could do that man i haven't done that yet yeah you haven't had a chance to do that yet <laughs> we'll see you may not get a chance uh, i know right <laughs> speak, speaking of which i did say in the in the stream that the reason i was staying home was because i had um had had a possible coronavirus exposure. So good news. If I didn't update all of y'all, my friend who I had the exposure to got tested, their test came back negative. So Yay. we are all in the clear. That's why I'm here. Right. I was Noah. about to say, I don't think uh, you'd be here if yeah. it had been a negative. Yeah. I mean, a so positive. <laughs> thank you to any of those of you that prayed uh, for us. Uh, the tests came back great and we can join the real world again. Woo. So, all right. So I got that right. You feel like I uh, explained that correctly mm-hmm. i guess yeah, yeah 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 let me let me just reread that passage okay and i'm, I'm just gonna I, I have a few more questions for you that i wanted you to help kind of clarify um for us a little bit so it was first peter two one uh well yeah chapter two yeah, yeah chapter two yeah. first peter chapter one. two yeah. starting in verse one so therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy and slander of every kind like newborn ma- babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God uh, through Jesus Christ. So, you have talked a little bit about the role that you talked in your sermon a little bit about the role that we all play as, as that holy priesthood. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that part of what Peter is saying here is that there is a, there was a decisive role that, that Jesus had to play. Right. To really make that all a reality. Exactly. Um, And how does, how do you begin to build that argument? Why, why do you think Peter is saying that? Why was it important? that Jesus played the role he did to be able to really inaugurate that holy priesthood. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think I may have mentioned this a little bit in the sermon, but, um, one of the main things is this kind of concept of humanity being unable to fill this role as a mm-hmm. priesthood. Right. And we're unable to, because we've been tainted by sin essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's this idea of a mirror, way back in the beginning, God intended for us to be this priesthood, to be this uh, shining light of who he is to the rest of the world. And because we're marred by sin, we're not able to do that anymore. And so the hope is that one day humanity will be able to get to that point, to be able to be um, this bridge, to be this holy priesthood to everyone. And so you're exchanging who God is with every other human that's on this earth. And since humanity can't do it, what God has to do is actually step down into humanity and do it himself, essentially, Mm -hmm. in the form of a human. Uh, And so that's really where Christ comes into the picture as this rescuer from humanity's plight. And so that's what Peter is looking at, is he's looking at the fact that humans were broken Mirror-wise, they couldn't reflect God's image anymore, um, and now Christ comes on to the ta- uh, to the scene as this perfect human that can actually live out that vocation. And so, what the early Christians looked at and what they saw was that, hey, some human actually was able to live out what everybody had hoped we could live out. Hmm. for the entire Old Testament onward. Jesus was able to do everything. And so now, 
rather than trying to do it ourselves and sort of like making up a, a new way to try and get there, we can actually follow in Jesus's example um, and be able to accomplish that. So that's why like it kind of shows how he's this uh, cornerstone, like the stone right. that's, that's the original the stone. That yeah, that's, yeah, that's the original uh, is basically a cornerstone in the in first temple kind of period in this uh, New Testament period was the idea of every stone that follows is essentially built on top of that stone. And is uh, that stone is like the pinnacle. If you pulled it out, the whole thing would crumble. Um, right. And if I remember correctly, that's how they would build buildings is the the cornerstone would be like the first stone that they would lay because it like is the square. It's the one that needs to be like perfectly square, perfectly level because all the other bricks, all the other stones get built off of that cornerstone exactly so if the cornerstone is a little crooked if the cornerstone is not level if the cornerstone isn't perfect then the whole building gets all off kilter when it gets built from there so jesus being the cornerstone for this holy priesthood he's the one that gets us on the right track from the beginning right right exactly and mm. so it's that uh it's basically Peter looking at the life of Christ and how he reflected God um, and how he lived a perfect life. And through his life, he accomplished the redemption of humanity. And we then take that same life, that purpose to try and redeem things around us, uh, and we live that out. And so we, in a lot of ways, are um, basically living the same type of life that Christ did. Um, and that's why Paul uses a lot of the same language of like, uh, uh, buried in baptism, risen and new life is a lot of these phrases of the life of Christ and how Christ lived. We also live in our lives as well. Um, mm -hmm. even Christ will say, take up your cross and follow me. Like there's a lot of examples in which the life of Christ is lived out as human, uh, as, like we live out the life of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so there is that really... Humans and God, or the world and God, mm -hmm. was the purpose all along. From the very beginning, that's the role that humans were supposed to play. And humans have failed at it because of sin. Right. We're just bad at being a holy priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see in Jesus is that he is the um, the successful human, the one who does that priesthood job the way it was supposed to be done. Right. And so if we are going to be following him, doing what he is doing, then he makes it possible for us to, to also be successful at our job and to, uh, to like participate together with him in that. He, in yeah. That role. Hebrews 2 actually has a very particular word. I can't remember it in the Greek, but you can basically translate it as trailblazer. Um, oh, yeah. It's uh, Hebrews 2, you said? Yes, it's Hebrews 2. It's at the very end here. I can pull that up. Okay. If, yeah, you got it. Um, no, I don't have it yet. I don't see it. One second. I think it's at the end here. Um and so it's a, a particular Greek word that means like trailblazer. The yeah, one, the, yeah, yeah, The yeah. one that like sets the path that we... Yeah, essentially it says like he undergoes um, this, this life of uh, pain and suffering uh, for us and that he trailblazes a way for us to follow in after him. And so it's it's in this way that we're able to really engage with the uh, gospel and not just, uh, oh, I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins and that's the end of the story. It's that, no, you actually live that death on the cross in your own life um, and you actually live that mediary uh, position in your own life as that bridge between humanity and God. So, yeah. So, uh, I found it in Hebrews six. Oh, is it in six? Okay. Uh, where he does say, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
uh, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest. Right. Yep, that's about. it. And so, again, it's just connecting that whole idea. Jesus is that priest who goes before us first and blazes a trail, but the idea is that it's a trail that we then follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you've been really helping me understand that lately. We've had a lot of conversations where you've talked about that um, the gospel message is not necessarily just this like one time event that happened in the past, but it is a, um, a path that has been set before us. And so we, uh, Paul uses all this language of like participating in Christ and being united with Christ. And, and so it's this whole idea that like we are, we're being called to continue in the work that he started and is currently doing. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of Paul actually starts to make sense when you think of the Christian life as attempting to live the very same life that Christ lived. Uh, and so you see Christ get baptized, right? So we get baptized. You mm-hmm. see Christ start the Lord's Supper. We also do the Lord's Supper. You see Christ uh, take up his cross. Um, we also take up our cross. You see Christ is resurrected, and you talked about how resurrection is the ultimate goal that we all hope yeah. for. Uh, and so the story of Christ is really the story of humanity, um, mm. in narrow focus, essentially, right. you get to see the entire story of humanity right. and the ultimate goal of that in the story of Christ. Right. And that's our main hope is that, uh, we will be resurrected one day. Right. So, uh, so Jesus is particularly fulfilling because we always think of Jesus in his, like how he is God and all the divinity stuff mm-hmm. that he does. But, it sounds like what you're focusing on is the fact that Jesus was the like true human being who truly right. did human things the way. Right. It's actually interesting that uh, Jesus refers to himself mostly as the son of man. Mm-hmm. And there are several passages actually where when the disciples call him the son of God, he shushes them and says, hey, don't don't actually right. like because there were like aloud. all kinds of titles people used to talk to jesus they talked about the right. like, son of david which had like messianic stuff son of god son of, right you know? but the one he uses the most to talk about himself is son of man right specifically and he, s- he focuses on that human thing exactly and son of man uh, literally just means human uh, Adam is referred to uh, as the son of man at one point, I think. And it's that uh, idea of your uh, human in the most fullest human sense possible. So uh, it's, it's, I think it kind of decries like that Gnostic view that we've talked about in previous right. weeks where they said that... Uh, he just looked like a human. He wasn't really a human. Right, right, exactly. No, son of man literally means this guy is human. He's as the most come. human that's ever been. Yes, human. yes. Like, like he, he is the truest version of a human. Yes. That's why I've always thought it was really cool when Jesus is being put on trial and Pilate goes to present him to the crowd. He has this like famous saying he says where he says behold the man Mm. and um Pilate didn't even realize it but he was kind of being prophetic in that moment because uh, it's interesting to me that he doesn't just you know he he pushes Jesus out there he tells the crowd behold the man Mm. and he's kind of being prophetic yes this is the man the true human the (laughs) the human above all humans yeah and um you know who knows what Pilate thought he was saying but there's obviously something very prophetic that he was saying in that moment when he present. That's how he presents Jesus. He presents Jesus as the man. But you pointed out that Jesus uses the term son of man to refer to himself the most. Mm-hmm. But that's not original to Jesus. That comes from somewhere, right? Where, right. where is that reference? Right. So the main uh, reference you'll find is actually in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Okay. Uh, Daniel, actually, we could. It's a pretty long passage. Do you want yeah. to read it, or do you want me to yeah, just summarize it? No, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll go ahead and read it because okay. I've got it right here. Daniel chapter seven. You want me to read the whole passage? Um, you can skip the beasts coming out of the water part, and if you just want to focus right. on the uh, um, bit where uh, the books are opened and like you see the like high council and everything like that. Uh huh. You should. There's just a f- yeah. I got it here. Yeah. So, um. 
so just to summarize, this is the prophet Daniel mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. He has this vision. And like you mentioned, there's this crazy part where he sees all these beasts, these <laughs> yeah. crazy looking animals. Something um, out of like uh, Godzilla or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> just these crazy huge beasts. But then um, after that, it says here, starting in it's Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Ancient of Days is a term for God, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So God takes his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So he sees all these heavenly Mm. throne room of God, and God is sitting there, and... and, um, and there's all of these spiritual attendants that are attending to him. Love thousands fire. and thousands. <laughs> Lots of fire. <laughs> it's real metal. It's super epic. Right. And then I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. But then he says, in, in my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Yeah, um, that's uh, sort of the theme that's being displayed there is that a human rises on a cloud and is given this reign as a king over all the world, right? Mm. And that's the prophet... Uh, promise in Daniel, right? And remember what I said in the sermon was that you had a lot of prophets that came on the scene late in Israel's life that was saying that, hey, we know that humanity and their image nature, like their ability to show who God really is, has been tainted, it's been destroyed. But one day we're promising that a human will come and redeem all that and will be able to ascend to the point of ruling again. And maybe one thing that I didn't bring out as much in the beginning is it's not just that humans are meant to shine god and show who god is but it's also their intent to rule like they're told in the genesis narrative multiply and rule over all the earth and so Mm -hmm. it's not just that they're meant to show the rest of the world who god is they're also meant to be the kings of this world they're meant to be the lords of it the only thing that is higher than them in terms of like ruling is god so there's like this two part to what the humans are supposed to do. Right, One right. is kind of be that mirror that reflects the glory of God back mm-hmm. to the world. But secondly, it's to kind of like be, uh, if God's the king, then humans rule on his behalf. They they are the, the ambassadors exactly. on God's behalf that are like out there representing God and ruling over uh, the world as well. Um, and so... In this vision, Daniel sees God in mm-hmm. that throne room and the, the light and the glory right. and all of that and kind of fire. stuff. <laughs> and the fire. <laughs> um, but he, and then he sees this, what he says, one like a son of man, like a, a, ascending. A, ascending. It's like a, it's like a man who's coming from the earth and he's going up into this heavenly throne room, mm-hmm. kind of being like caught up in the clouds and sent up to, to the throne room. And this son of man is given that authority to rule and um and be the one that is you know in charge um fulfilling that job that humans were supposed to do right right and the kind of the reason that it opens with the four beasts is the beasts are actually meant to represent human kingdoms and rulers of these kingdoms and so what's daniel saying here in this chapter is that hey i know that like The Romans and the Greeks are going to rule over all the earth and they're going to cause a lot of mayhem and it's going to look like like they're the ones like they're the ones in charge. Yeah, it's going to look like these humans are that just have awful uh, morals and kill people for no good reason. And, you know, it's going to look like they're in control of the world and the world is falling apart because they're in control. And the promise is that, no, there will be a man, a human being that will restore 
his position as ruler over all the earth. Uh, and he will be this, really what Paul says later on is a second Adam, a second ruler that represents all of humanity. Uh, and he will restore that initial ruling that happened with Adam and Eve. Um, so he, he becomes the the true human that we humans were supposed to be. Exactly. And so you said that this, uh, when the, when the ancient people of Israel were reading these passages, they, they, they recognized they're like, man, I can't wait till that day when that son of man guy comes because mm-hmm. everything's going to be put back to right. And it's all going to be the way it's supposed to be. And then it's not just Daniel, all the other prophets keep referencing this, Exactly. This, this king that's going to come, who's going to make the world right, this human being who's going to come and, and fix things to how they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think lots of times we forget that the early uh, Jews of Jesus's day of that first century, what they were raised on was these Bible passages. That's what they mm-hmm. read every day, every week at, and on Sabbath. You know, all their Shabbat readings was like this this stuff out of the Bible. And these were the stories they were taught as kids. This is what they grew up on. So they knew all of the, they memorized a lot of these verses. They knew a lot of these stories. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he calls himself the son of, the man. Son of man, they would have immediately been like, that's from Daniel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I remember that. That's, that's, wait, that son of man? That's the guy? Mm-hmm. The, the guy that we've all been waiting for? The guy that's going to come well, and rule? And it's funny, too, because the disciples thought that he was literally going to crush Rome, which would have been one of the beasts, and he was going to do it in a military way. Right. And so he's going to he's going to destroy these evil empires. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's going to just beasts. like come in and just level everybody. And the the turning point in the story is when Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross, hmm. not as the like ruling of everything Mm. um not as this like triumphant conqueror right right but the way that i will be lifted up the way that i will be lifted up to that kingship is on a is through suffering yeah and um yeah through through humiliation and so that that's actually i think the moment that the um pharisees actually get really mad at jesus is they're in the high council room they ask him are you the son of god and he responds to them uh not by answering their question but by saying that you will see the son of man lifted up today um and enthroned Hmm. and in that moment they all like up in their tables because what he's claiming in that moment is that he's going to become king over the known world yeah uh and so they you know uh crucify him and so that's where that's why that that statement in the in your bibles and i think it's in every gospel that that's that's recorded where jesus says you will see the son of man lifted up is so uh hurtful to the pharisees because they don't want a king you know they don't want that and uh so they uh, and they don't they don't want him to be that no they don't want him to be that no um yeah so it's like really controversial and that's why i i had never it was became really important to me to really realize how that's why it's so important that that's why they like put the robe like that purple robe they put on jesus in the middle of the crucifixion that's Mm. why they put a crown on his head. right right that's why they write a sign that says says jesus king King of of the the jews Jews, yep that they push particularly put because they knew what he was claiming Mm -hmm. he was claiming to be king and they're like oh ha ha yeah, we'll mock you, you, we'll for, mock this. you for, yeah. for claiming to be king. Um, but in that really unexpected way, Jesus is saying, I actually, this is my, this is my enthronement. I yeah. am becoming king through this way that you did not expect me. And so to, to pull it all the way back to first Peter, that's what we're in for. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's what, uh, that's what our lives is going to look like is, in being raised up, we're going to be raised up on crosses, not on pedestals, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why Peter makes a huge point to say the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, uh, is to say, like, this, this, uh, this, this unexpected, very, this unexpected, this very important thing to all of us 
is a thing that's held in complete disregard by the rest of the world. And that's mm -hmm. what these people are going through right now is they're going through suffering and they're going through persecution. And so Peter is reminding them that the life that Jesus led is not a, not a great life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's, it ends very, uh, I mean, the ending and resurrection is great, but the climax of the story is ultimately super painful mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, miserable yeah so so if we are if he set the example for us if he's the trailblazer if he's the forerunner mm -hmm. and the way he did that was by suffering right then we are being called to that same um sort of life mm -hmm. and and that's what peter's reminding them of he's saying remember we were supposed to be priests we're supposed to be this bridge look at how our our example priest our high priest jesus mm -hmm. had to do his job and so if we are doing our job it's going to be the same we're going to be out there um having to to suffer for the cause of christ mm -hmm. but it is a part of what it means to participate in the way of jesus if you're right you, can, you can't do the way of jesus without um doing it the way he did which involved suffering um, suffering and pain and crucifixion yeah which um doesn't sound like good news no no <laughs> but the ending of the verse is really actually heartening because he says taking all that in mind uh you offer spiritual sacrifices right hmm. and what kind of sacrifices are in the old testament is a way to appease sin to remove sin um to offer a blood sacrifice to purify people uh and so all of this imagery of what sacrifices do in the old testament is being displayed here uh and what peter is saying is that through all this suffering through all of this misery um what you are going to do is you are going to begin to purify. You're going to begin to take away the sins of those around you. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I said this in the sermon, but uh, I think one of the worst things that Christians have done is to stop praying for the sins to be forgiven of the lost. Uh, it's something I do regularly uh, is to pray for lost people's sins and to ask for those to be atoned for. Um and uh, I believe that Jesus will will forgive them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That might be a little controversial, but uh, it's just me personally. I, I believe that you can see you that. Have, in you want to have that faith yeah. that Jesus mm -hmm. is going to um, hear your prayers and mm -hmm. um, and you functioning in that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And so the... Uh, the the problem to go back to your sermon mm -hmm. the the problem is that we have focused only on being holy mm -hmm. and not on that intercession bridge role that we were right. supposed to have as as priests and the problem is when we do that when we focus on like i got to get my life right i got to get my got to ha not have sins i got to not be tainted in any way um cuz i got to be holy mm. when we focus on that um, we we miss out on the priesthood part of our vocation, the um, the 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 connecting God to the world, lost world, especially that we can that we can do. We 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 focus too much on one half mm -hmm. and miss out on the other, and so because of that, like you said, the had that conversation with the friend of yours that just said that why why do they why do Christians just focus on all these rules that don't have to do with right. anything and i think that's the problem is that when we do that when we only focus on being holy and not on being priests the good news of the gospel doesn't seem like good news no you know it just seems like god's a killjoy and he wants us to not have fun um mm. and so it doesn't seem like good news right but the example we see from the early church was that they, they understood that again, Peter's reminding them, he's like, don't forget, this is part of your job. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the, and as they got out there and fulfilled their job, it didn't matter what people thought about them. They were still able to see that this is, this is good news for, mm. for people. The example I've always 
given. Um, I mentioned it in my sermon a couple weeks ago about there's a really cool book I like called Destroyer of the Gods that focuses on those first Christians, those early Christians. And um, the author in it, he gives this really great example about how in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, they had this uh, this practice where if you, because they didn't have contraceptives, they didn't have, mm. so they would often get pregnant and have kids that they didn't want. And it was totally acceptable in that day and age. You would just, what you would do is you would take that baby and just leave them outside to die. And mm. it was considered uh, morally fine. There was no issue with that. There was no issue with just getting rid of the, of the baby that you didn't want. Um, they even had a term for it. They called it exposure. They called it exposing a kid. They didn't even call it murder. They called it just exposing. They had this like euphemism term that they used and it was like totally fine and everybody did it. So it's, if they just happened to have sex, get pregnant, not want the kid, as soon as the kid was born, you would just take, set the baby outside on outside your door and let them starve to death basically. Mm. And the Christians were so appalled by that in the early church that what they started doing is every night whenever it came exposure time and people would be setting their babies out, the Christians started going around at night and scooping up all of the babies that were being left out. And that's the very first time you started to see some orphanages mm. pop up. They started to have these orphanages where they would care for all these babies. Yeah. And it became such a big deal in certain cities that the the Romans and the Greeks just figured, well, we'll just save them a step. We'll just take the baby straight to the Christians because <laughs> we know the Christians are going to come anyways. So let's just take them straight to the... And so as the Christians would build these orphanages, the the pagans would come and they would just bring... They would just leave their babies on the doorsteps of the orphanages um, directly because they knew the Christians were going to come get the babies anyways. Hmm. And that's where you kind of can't in, in movies. You always see in movies where like an orphan will be left on a doorstep uh, of an orphanage, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like in a mm-hmm. little basket on a doorstep. That's where that comes from. It comes from, it just became so common for the Christians to care for those babies mm. that they, um, everybody was like, yeah, just go leave them on the door, the doorstep of that house over there. The Christians, for whatever reason, they just take care of all these babies. So right. if you have a baby you don't want, take them to the Christians and they'll take care of it. And that's a, the sort of thing that just becomes good news regardless of how you feel, you know, because regardless of the fact that these people felt like they didn't want these kids anymore, mm. they they were like, well, at least I know I can take them to this orphanage. I know I can take them to these Christians. They'll, they'll take care of them. Um, and so regardless of what you thought about the Christians, regardless if you thought they were weird, I think you pointed out on Sunday that they thought they were cannibals sometimes. They did. They did think Because the Christians cannibals. talked about eating mm-hmm. Jesus' uh, flesh and mm-hmm. drinking his blood. And so they were like, they were like, man, those Christians, those weird like cannibal Christians, they're super weird. I don't understand what that's about. But they care for the orphans. They care for the widows. Mm-hmm. They care for the poor. That's the point I was yep. making. They, they always make it a point to help the poor. And so regardless of what you thought, it they were doing their job and it, looked like good news to the rest of the world it seemed like something that they were excited about yeah 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 i mean there's definitely a a dual sort of feeling in the roman roman camp where like they would do things that helped babies like that but at the same time they also looked down on them for uh completely destroying like oligarchy and systems and things like it was a love very love hate relationship yeah yeah yeah. it was definitely They, they they loved what the christians were doing um but they had some issues with certain things that they were doing very much like today, honestly, is that there are some things that I think uh, we do as Christians that non-Christians love. And then there are some things we do that they don't understand at all. And it's interesting to me that the ones who had the most issue with the Christians were the ones in power, not the, Hmm. not the weak and the oppressed. So it was the, 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 the soldiers and the rich and the, and the aristocrats and the mm. the the one percenters of their day <laughs> were the ones that really had the biggest issue with the Christians because yeah. they were mixing things up. In that Destroyer of the Gods, there's a letter that uh, is shared, and it's an early letter, one of the first letters from a... Is this Pliny? Uh, it might be, but it's it's written from a, from a uh, Roman uh, aristocrat mm-hmm. 
who is making fun of the Christians, mm. you know, and he's kind of trying to dismiss them and trying to say, uh, you know, no, no, nobody should be. He's trying to discredit the Christians. Yeah. And the big phrase, his like, his like culmination of his argument is he says, he, everyone knows that Christianity is a religion just for, for women and for slaves. And it's this very <laughs> like, um, uh, disparaging derogatory you can just hear the like smugness in his voice yeah where he's just like christianity is just cool if you're a woman or if you're a slave any self-respecting man <laughs> would never be caught dead as a christian huh. that's kind of the the tone that you yeah. get from his letter which of course isn't true we see from the uh the new testament that there were there were rich people that were a part of the church there were landowners that were part of the church there were men there were women hmm. but again the the oppressed the people who were the least the lesser ones in that society the women the slaves the children the ones who just were like nobody cared about them they found community and belonging in the church that they did not find otherwise hmm. and so so when this like Roman aristocrat is trying to discredit Christianity, he he just leans into his like privilege in a way and just tries to say, well, you know, it's fine for those lesser people, but <laughs> you know, no 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 self-respecting person would be found as a Christian. And so those are the people who ended up having the most issue with Christians were the uh, the the elite the elite mm-hmm. yeah that's the word. Um, and so I think you see that lots of times. I think that's a that is a component that you see when Christians are truly being Christians is that the, the people who have power, the people who are in charge, um, don't like it very much. They, yeah. they tend to, they tend to have issues with that because they did with Jesus. That was the whole thing. Um, you pointed out that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these Jewish leaders, they did not like Jesus and they get up in arms when, whenever Jesus finally says, you're going to see the son of man lifted up. They can't stand it, and I, and you know, part of it is because they were in power. They were the ones that had the power at that moment in time. Yeah, and so they were afraid of losing that power, right. losing that influence. Part of the part of one of the things I learned uh, recently is that the people that Jesus ministered to were primarily people in Galilee, in the poor regions of Galilee, and not in the capital, not city. in the capital city of Jerusalem. And so I, I was always taught as like a Sunday school uh, in Sunday school that the people that love Jesus the next week would turn around and uh, authorize his execution, you know, and that it right. was the same people that who loved him one week and then, oh, they're just silly Jews. They just, they, they just they flip just flop, they flip flop. And then whatever the leaders say, they're going to go with, and it's not accurate at all. Actually, the, uh, people that were shouting Hosanna as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, the verse is very specific. It's all the people that were a part of his group that were coming and shouting that like the disciples are the one that's instigating mm-hmm. this. And, uh, there, it's not the same people that shout Hosanna as the people that authorize his execution because mm-hmm. the people in Jerusalem are the elite. Like mm-hmm. they're the ones that like are very uh, like enshrined in these systems of political power. And uh, they're not the ones that have known Jesus up until this point. Um, it's the people from Galilee that, mm-hmm. that are shouting Hosanna and calling him king. So, so that's really cool because the very first sermon I preached in this whole series was one where Jesus specifically says the good news, you know, he, he's announcing the good news yeah. and he says it's for the, it's for the poor, it's for the prisoners, it's right. for the blind, it's for the, the, the not powerful people. Mm-hmm. That's who he like is laser focused on as who this is going to be good news for. This is going to be good news for the least of these, the people that are not the ones in power. And so, well, and that's kind of the scandal of it is that like, I mean, to go back to the son of man idea is humans now in our time find ways to get power through their own means. Hmm. And they don't find ways of getting back to the image of God uh, way, because that way is through suffering. It's through the cross. It's through, um, putting yourself lower than your neighbor. Uh, and so a lot of the rich have a harder time, like the more elites, they have a harder time 
giving up that rule that they've already earned through their mm. own way. Um, right. They've already earned it through either birth or um, financial success or what, what have right. you. And uh, to, to sacrifice all that and to go a different way, which is a way of always putting yourself least in right. the kingdom of God, uh, is very difficult for any human really to do. Right. Uh, and that's, it, it was easier for the poor because what do they the, got to lose? What do they have to lose? Yeah. yeah. What you know, like they, they, uh, and that's why Jesus says like, it's easier for a camel to be thread through the eye of a needle than a rich man to eat, enter the kingdom of God. It's, right. I don't think he's messing around when he says that. Um, it's, he's not saying it's impossible. No, he's not saying, he's saying it's saying impossible, it's hard. but he's saying it's hard. Um, and so it's that it's that getting back to what God originally intended for us to do was to rule, yes, but rule under his terms, not on right. our own terms. Right. And so the problem is that the way the world likes to rule mm-hmm. is through, like, power and, like, power plays and, like, mm-hmm. subduing people and conquering people. And, um, and, and so... We even talked about this earlier. There's a scene where the disciples are asking Jesus, who's going to get to sit at his left and mm. right hand, you know? Yeah. And so they're like, Jesus, Jesus, tell us. We've been arguing, but just go ahead and tell us. When you enter your kingdom, when you become king, when you're finally enthroned, who gets to sit at your left and who gets to sit at your right? Because, you know, when the king's throne, the most important seats are the seats to his left and to his right. Those mm-hmm. are the most important people. And Jesus kind of turns around and you can just kind of see... He's like, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> and we, who, we, those of us who know the whole story, we kind of have this like flash forward moment in that moment. And you just see the cross. You see the moment where Jesus is enthroned and on his left and on his right are two, are two thieves. thieves that are also being crucified. Right. <laughs> and so when these disciples are like, Jesus, Jesus, which of us gets to sit on your left and your right when you become king? He's just kind of like, you don't know, you don't know. what that means. <laughs> The way you become king in the kingdom of God, the type of king Jesus is, is not the king who goes in and conquers. He doesn't send in the tanks. Right. Uh, he sends in the people with crosses on their backs. I've mentioned that before. That's a that's a line from a theologian we both really like, Nate Menti, right? He says that all the time. He says when God... Uh, when the kingdom of God arrives, God does not send in the tanks. He sends in people with crosses on their backs. And I think that that is an essential part of what it means to be the kind of royal priesthood yeah. that we are supposed to be as Christians. We are we are supposed to be those people who who sacrifice for others, who are suffer for others if need be, um, and take up that cross in the same way that Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's not easy. You know, I, we're not saying it is. I don't think even Jesus says it's easy. Um, right. But it's easy for us to talk about because yeah. we like to talk about the idea <laughs> of it, the theology of it. You know, we're right. idea guys. L- living it out. Yeah. I mean, you and I, even in our personal lives, have struggled with that. Right. So, um, right. I had a personal experience once that really this hit home for me was with uh, a one of those, you know, short-term mission trips that a lot of Christians will take where they go overseas somewhere and help. And I got to go to the country of Haiti right after that big earthquake that they had a few years ago and help out in an orphanage. Mm. And I have this memory of that moment where it really came to terms for me that um, the people in the churches that I was at, because I would visit all these churches, and I would just see people, like, sing and worship God, and it was just, like, with all their heart, and they were just super into it, and they just... And I realized that some of these people, they were so poor, they had nothing, literally nothing. Mm. Like, they had, like, a shirt and some shorts and some sandals. That's, like, all that they owned. They didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They didn't, you know, they had nothing. So, literally, they had nothing but Jesus. Mm. Like, Jesus was the only thing they had. Like if you had to just like, what is your one possession? It is like, I have this relationship with the God of the universe. That's like my one thing. And I realized that their relationship with God was like so authentic in a way that mine had never been because I had a lot of other things that I did that, you know, 
my I had more I had multiple possessions. I did not just have mm. Jesus like they did. And so I think that's been the hardest lesson I've had to learn because it's really easy for me to think of the rich as like other people. Right. You know, right. like the 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 uh, the the one percent in the U.S., the um, Mark Zuckerberg, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos and, you know, the politicians. They're, they're the ones. Right. <laughs> um, but I've really had to come to terms with the facts lots of times that I am the ridge. I'm, I'm the one who's never had to wonder where my next meal is going to come from. Obviously, right. I'm not the one that's ever had to. Um, so I recognize that sometimes it's easy for me to talk about that role of suffering. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to suffer because I've never really had to suffer, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I recognize that, that it may be not as impactful coming from me. Yeah. I, I felt this a lot similar to you when I started uh, running Avenue coffee because the finances weren't great there. And I spent the whole year worried for my job, for my livelihood, for just so many different things. Uh, worried that I'd disappoint pretty much every staff member there that I was over. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just felt like a failure a lot of the time I ran that. And one of the things that I I realized was that mentally I would go in these spirals in which I would play out like every foreseeable option of how this was going to end and how everybody was going to hate me at the end of this because I had run this thing into the ground and, you know, just like end up in a very dark place because of it. And uh, what I ended up having to do one night, I remember it distinctly. I drove home after a really bad night and I got home and I just like sat on the couch and I kind of had to say what in my life is my own you know like what in my life can I not lose (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. because right now it feels like everything in my life is about to I can lose lose every day every day I was like if if money didn't come in it was like I could lose literally my income um yeah like I just and if I lost my income, then I wouldn't be able to pay for school for the next semester. I wouldn't get my degree. Like, you know, like, and then I'd lose all my friends because, you know, it all goes under. And um, so you're like, what's the one what is, thing like, I can't lose? What is, yeah, what is the constant in my life that, like, uh, I I won't lose? And, you know, it just came back and back to me that the only thing that I had was Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was a lot of comfort in feeling that, you know, feeling that even if I end up a homeless man on the streets, you know, Mm -hmm. even if my worst fears are made realized and I have to, uh, figure out how to live without income, uh, I won't ever lose Jesus. Um, and that 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 was like a moment for i mean that was the moment i started praying really really consistently is just knowing that nothing in my life that i have is guaranteed and the only thing that's guaranteed in my life is jesus so mm. uh, yeah yeah and that's um i think in some ways to bring it all the way back around to the original first peter passage that we mm-hmm. started with i think that that's what peter's trying to remind them of He's trying to tell these Christians who've had to go through a really hard time. He's trying to tell them, remember your vocation, remember your job, remember what you're supposed to be doing. This is this is a part of what we're supposed to be doing. If we're following mm-hmm. Jesus, we're going to be suffering. That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But like, don't lose hope. Don't let it become hopeless. Don't become like super depressed about right, it. Right, right. Because you know that you have this surefire thing, which is... Uh, the relationship that you have with the God who created everything and who is the one that is in charge. That's the one thing you can bank on. You can, you know, no one's going to be able to take that from you. No, they can take your life. They can take your possessions. They can take your happiness, but they cannot take uh, the sureness of the relationship that you have with, with God away from you. And, and um, for both me and you, that has been something that's been, helped us go through the difficult times that we've had to go through is that, um, that is, uh, 
one thing we can bank on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, I think you feel the same way, but, uh, for me, I've always loved to rule from my own power, you know? Right. Uh, I've always wanted to, we want to conquer the know, world on our own. Terms. Yeah, exactly. Every, but every sermon I preach is really a sermon against myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, I I have this tendency to always want to have everything figured out. I never have to I in my ideal world, I'd never have to pray to God for anything because I'd have already fixed every you would have the power and mm-hmm. you would know exactly what you need to do to exactly, fix it. Exactly. 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 In my ideal world, everything would be set and sure and you never have to worry about a single thing in your life because everything was certain to work. Um, and, uh, I've just had to learn that, uh, God doesn't want that life for me. Um, he wants a life in which I'm constantly praying to him and I'm constantly saying, not my will, but your will be done. Um, and that, uh, that learning is shifting from this position where you think you can rule on your own terms and uh, shifting to a perspective in which God is the ruler and you have to rely on uh, rely on him for daily bread you know you, right. you rely on him for uh, this amount to come in every day for you to keep on going um, and I think that that's what I really wanted to get across in this sermon was that uh, what you see is humans having to become priests where they're relying totally on God and they're teaching humans how to rely how to do that. on God. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and they're teaching uh, that the way to success is not the way that everybody else lives their life, not this vain pursuit for... It's not about the hustle. Mm -hmm. It's not about the, you know, get up there and hustle and and work harder than everybody else. Yeah, the achievements and everything. It's about uh, laying down uh, that control and looking to God. Um, And I think that's the role that Christians can play in non-Christians' lives. And I think that's, you get to see two different types of rulers in that sense. You get to see a ruler with a crown of thorns, and you get to see a ruler with a golden crown. Um, And you get to make your choice. Um, And that's really what every Christian should walk around with a crown of thorns. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's that that idea of um, we are submitting our, our control um, to God. And that sometimes means misery. So, yeah. 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 So I, uh, it's a, it's a a concept that both of us have had several conversations about, and we're hoping to unpack more and more as we go along with the sermons and with the deep dives that we're going to be doing here at Wayfarers. Um, I do think it's something that I don't remember growing up hearing much Mm -mm, was that, part of what it means to to be united to Christ and participate with him is to be to participate in his sufferings as well. Mm. Um but there is this really crazy cool theology when you follow that thread all the way through the Bible and you realize exactly what that means, what that could mean for the world if you had an entire priesthood of people yeah who were um ruling in that way instead of conquering. So, um, you have anything else or are you feeling? I think, yeah, if I said any more, I think it would just be like overstating the case. So (laughs) we've made the point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, um, like I said, tune in. Uh, if you want to, if you want to watch Noah's sermon, I encourage you to do that. It's going to be up on our YouTube, uh, channel tomorrow. You can just go on YouTube and look for Wayfarers Christian Church. Mm. You'll be able to see um, Noah's sermon uh, from Sunday where he explains a little bit more about that idea, why the gospel is good news for those that aren't Christians. Mm. And I would encourage you to tune in this Sunday. Um, we, uh, I'm, This is kind of the end of the series. I'm ending the series this Sunday with what what is the good news actually and what's kind of the culmination of the good news. Um, and and I'm not going to 
I won't spoil it. You got to tune in to see. Exactly oh, really? What the culmination no teaser is here. today. What? No. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just going to end it with what how the gospel was the good was kind of the first uh, glimpse I got personally of the gospel being good news for me mm. in a way that was um, actually exciting and not just uh, not just uh, what you had heard all the time in church. What I had heard in church, hadn't absolutely. Really ever hit. Right, absolutely. Mm. So I'm excited. Like you that. said, it's going to be. You know, we both often just preach about things that are important to us. Yeah, and so you'll you'll get to hear a little bit of, of our heart through that, and we hope you you uh, recognize that as we go along. But yeah, tune in this Sunday, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about what was one of the big uh, shifts for me in learning about the good news. So hope to see you all then. Thanks, guys. <laughs>